Welcome back to The Gavel and the Gabble. It's me, Harry. I'm based at Windsor Auctions and I'm joined by... It's Simon from Lime Bay Auctions and I've got my cuddles auctioneer, Harry, back from holiday. I thought he'd abandon me forever, but no, he's back. He's bronzed. He's beautiful. He's on the rostrum. He's on the podcast. He's Harry. (laughs) So pleased. And today we are talking to the magnificent Matthew Priddy. And we are talking about all things cars, auctioneering cars, auctioneering vehicles, auctioneering motorbikes, auctioneering barn finds. This is right up my wheelhouse. As you, my dear listener, will know with my ridiculous, pathetic attempt at auctioneering cars and Mustangs and falling in love with inanimate objects with engines. It's quite ridiculous. So I am thoroughly looking forward to meeting, all down to you, Harry. Well done, Mr. Matthew Priddy. Welcome back to The Gavel and the Gabble. I am overjoyed, but not as much as Simon is, to be welcoming Matthew Priddy, Head of Auctions at Historics Auctions. I will confess, I have been to several of their sales, loved every minute of it. Um, but Matthew, we are chuffed, overjoyed that you've uh, been able to spare some time uh, to talk to us. Uh, welcome to the pod. Oh, thank you very much. No, anytime, that's anytime. Matthew, listen, we are delighted to have you on the pod because we run auction houses, we do all sorts of things, but you've got pretty much the best job in the world, haven't you? You're not the first person to say it. But when I'm pushing things around, shoving cars out of doors because they haven't started, then sometimes it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, for our listeners, um, Matthew, please give us a bit of background on historic uh, auctioneers. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. I know what you do because I follow you and follow the the cars that you sell and the amazing auctions that you host. But uh, let's just cover for our listeners. Tell us a bit about yourself and your magnificent auction house. So Historics has been going a little over a decade now. It was actually set up by our still owner, Mark Perkins, and one of our directors, Edward. Um, Edward used to work in the auction uh, game. He used to work for Coys um, well over a decade ago for a good 10 years. And Mark used to buy from Edward. So it was a a client um, sort of relationship they had. But Edward hated the way that they worked, wanted to sort of string out on his own. And Mark was the man that he thought would have the the money to back him. So they had a chat one day, and I think from from memory it was in the back of Edward's car, having a chat secretly about what they could possibly do. And, uh, you know, six, seven months later, pop up come Historics, uh, and they started back then with, I think, the first sale, the first lot was actually a little moped scooter. Um, started with a bit of a bang, had a good auction, all based at Brooklands originally. It was Historics at Brooklands at that time and worked on the pretense of four to five auctions a year and always about making sure you've got value for money and treating the customers, both buyers and sellers, with respect and honesty and integrity. Transparency, I think, was the biggest buzzword. So that was 10 years ago. Fast forward 10 years on now, we've got five to six auctions. We're all at different venues. Um, we sell anything really from sort of, it's an eclectic mix, anything from two, three thousand pounds right up to a million pounds. We tend to get knocked out by the big boys once we get over that level. Um, The Sotheby's and the Bonhams of this world sort of uh, cherry pick. But we like where we sit. We look after people that we can genuinely chat to. Um, And in that instance, I came along eight years ago, two years in, 
um, plucked from IT at the time. I, I came, I grew up working in um, media with newspapers and uh, naturally in cars and in auctions, as you guys might appreciate, a lot of people in this industry are slightly older and I'm being very polite and technology <laughs> is not necessarily their forte. And what they were finding is when they were cataloging the sale, so just as they'd finished, got all their lots in, they'd have to spend three weeks tap, 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 tap one word at a time to enter things onto all these new websites that were listing the cars. So I came in and helped streamline all that. But having a real enthusiast car background with a, a father that was a mechanic, it didn't take me long to sort of get a sniff of the idea of, hang on a minute, I wouldn't mind a bit of this. Uh, wandering around the country, disappointing people in the values of their cars. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, so it started and it never stopped. Um, and uh, all the way to this day where I've you know become head of auctions, which again, as you guys, it's, it's basically running the auction for Mark and making sure everyone's in the right place at the right time. And, and off the back of that, we're just completing on this sale. So I've just come off the back of that absolute lunacy, a week's rest before we start the next one. Matthew, can I jump in quickly there? Because you did make mention to, of, of that in your intro that you um, you have it in several different locations now. So Correct. I tend to go because I live in the area. I tend to go to the one at Ascot Race, of course, where you host it there. And it, I mean, um, I have to say, what a brilliant location. Isn't and it, it yeah. does look the part with the cars down the concourse, I have to say. Um, but what what inspired you guys to, to sort of not be in one spot? Originally, it was all at Brooklands, as I said, and it was all on the canvas. So what we found in the first couple of years was by the time we got towards the winter, it got bloody freezing. <laughs> so the thought process, okay, Mercedes-Benz World, which is still on the Brooklyn circuit, of course, um, Mark approached them, and then we started to move across the road in the winter months to have auctions in the Mercedes-Benz World building, which is fantastic. If anyone gets the chance to go there, um, preferably at our auctions, but if not, just to go there. Um, we went there, and then as things sort of moved on, we realised that it is a day out. It's very much a location that you want to go and see things. We often find that people, you may see, see this, people will come to buy a car that they've seen and researched online, then they'll come and see it in person, and then they'll bid and buy. That would be what you'd call the natural progression of purchasing a car at auction. But what we found was a lot of people were buying actually on a whim. And it depends on the price points because obviously some people have that disposable income that others me doesn't. So we were finding that if we made it a venue in which people wanted to come to, regardless of whether they specifically had a car to buy, we would see an upturn in business. So I think the first out of area was Ascot. Um, it wasn't working well for another auction house, but we went in there. So it's local to us. It's a great big venue. Um, gives a lot of flexibility. So we moved into there. First couple of auctions was finding our feet did okay. But since then, it's just rolled on and done in incredibly well. And um, it's busy. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, we would tend to have sort of three to 5,000 people over a four-day period. Yeah. And uh, as you know, that's the, that's the trick now. Getting people to get off their backsides and not do things online is difficult. So the idea is make it a venue, make it somewhere someone wants to come to, whether it's a nice drive to get there. Vista's a good example for that. Um, if you're into your cars and you like going places, it's a great place to drive to, and then you've got a reason to be there. Ascot's a lovely place to be. The bar's always open, so you can have a drink. That's key. Um, <laughs> that, helps Brooklyn's, that helps with the bidding. Yes. Not, not, that, <laughs> not that, of course, we were to push that. <laughs> Free tokens. Um, Brooklyn's always great because the museum's open, and people could go around the museum and, and love being there, and the same with Mercedes-Benz World. And this year, we did the London Classic Car Show in Olympia at the start of the year. Um, again, same thing, trying to get people to want to come to the event rather than just seeing it as, as purchasing 
and that's all. So take away that black and white and make it a bit more of an enjoyable day. And the last thing I thought we also we always do things on weekends. We've never done a midweek auction. Um, it's a bit of a philosophy of Mark and Edward when they started because they used to see auctions flop on a Wednesday evening in the middle of London because no one could get there. And then, of course, you're not providing the seller with the right platform to sell their car well. So it was always staunchly weekends and weekends only. But that gives you another problem is that most of us have family. And so you need to also make it somewhere that you're happy to bring everyone along to give you the excuse to be able to get away with that purchase of the car. <laughs> so there's a few sort of underlying reasons that we do it, but I think it works really well. I like moving around. It keeps it nice and exciting for the guys that work here as well. And I think without that, you can get a little bit sort of trenched down into just turning over cars and forgetting that we need to get people off their bums and in the, the auction room itself. And it truly is, Matthew. It really is. For particularly, I mean, we say it about our auctions, um, but with your auctions at Historics, it really is an event, isn't it? I mean, there is some theatre involved. There's the, you know, the roar of the cars, there's the bikes, there's all sorts. And, and, and as you say, you get thousands of people through the door. But I, I was interested because one of my questions was going to be, obviously, a lot of people will come along just to see these magnificent cars, right? But at the same time, you're saying occasionally you, you do get people who will buy on a whim as well. And that there's a fair bit of being clever where you also put your auctions sometimes. Ascot is across the road from Wentworth. If anyone doesn't know, there's plenty of money in there. Um, Brooklyn's is across the road from St. George's Hill. And so those people that are wander across the road do have rather large bank balances. So it does happen. But yeah. also, again, that's... That's also being eclectic. Um, there'll be all sorts in the auction that lots of us could sit there and just have a shandy or two and go, do you know what? I fancy that six, seven thousand pound MGB and that'll yeah. be my summer sorted. So there is a there's a bit of everything in there to just capture people's imagination as well as enjoying the day. There are lots of people just coming on to see the cars. Yeah. Now that happens one or two times. The third time they come, they might be buying. So it is key. We, we charge a catalogue entry for the reason that obviously it otherwise becomes a bit of a jolly day out. And we have got vendors' cars there and mm -hmm. we do want people to be able to look and inspect them. And we don't, and naturally customers don't want their doors open 1500 times by people that aren't <laughs> going to be interested in bidding. So there's a bit of a trade off, but it, it's the balance has worked well. And, and as you guys would have found, I mean, we only do 150 to 170 lots in an auction over a best part of a day, which to other walks of auctions can be slightly slow. So there's a lot of drama in each sale. Yeah. And so, it, it, but it is again, same thing, getting people out and understanding and enjoying the day and trying to then avoid those patches of, of non-sales when you only do such a small amount of lots per hour. Uh, Matthew, sorry for this question. Do you, you auctioneer yourself as well? I don't, I have done, but I don't yeah. tend to get it. We've got three auctioneers who do it professionally. Three, you know, they will work two auctions a week. Whereas, um, actually me and Harry spoke about this, is that us that work the, the actual auction itself, mm. the trouble is you've got to get out an auctioneer on a more regular basis. We're, we're working with some larger assets, so we have to be very professional about auctioneering. Right. And thus, we need to be slightly careful about just jumping in and jumping out. And, uh, and we were saying that one of the guys in the office is, is desperate to cut his teeth. And, you know, we said, well, you've got to go get yourself a Saturday job then. Go and work with other auction houses. You've got to be doing auctions two, three times a month because the art of auctioneering isn't just about knowing your product. It is, it's knowing and massaging the room. And it's being able to add up, Matthew. Let me tell you, and it's, it's the constant, it's the constant blaze of information coming at you now. Do you do uh, set increments? Um, I can answer Good that question. question. I Good can answer question. that question because I tend to lead. We're unique in well, we think we're unique, aren't we, Simon? In we the in so. the auction world, is that we auctioneer simultaneously. 
So okay. we sit next to each other and yeah. we're both talking. Yeah. So, but I will lead the lot. Yeah. And I will then, if I'm bored, change the increments because we do have set increments. But Simon is overseeing all sorts of tech going on and yeah. platforms and all the rest of it. So sometimes I'll change the increment because I know he hasn't got it keyed in just to make my <laughs> next 30 seconds. The online guys hate it, don't they? Absolutely hate it. It's a great wind up. Yeah. You sit there and go, yeah. we're going up in thousands. Let's go up in twos. Now let's get back down to 750. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't tend to be quite as uh, set. We're set to the start of a lot. And then as it goes on, it sort of then tends to just to get out whatever you can. Um, I must admit, you're right, though, exactly that. They do, you can see them thumping their hands on the towel. Oh, no, now I've got to try and re-enter that increment. <laughs> well, it's lucky yeah, when it's we're all... on the rostrum that people can't see actually that Simon has that on occasion punched me quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell us, Matthew, we're, we're, we're fascinated to know um, what are some of the best cars, lots, uh, interesting things that you've sold? Um, and I was doing a little bit of research into this. And and you know what? At first, when I started looking into this, uh, you know, it's like you sell cars, isn't it? It's like you sell. But actually, there's a lot more to it, isn't there? There's a huge amount to it because you can talk about a car that was owned by someone in particular. Yes. Uh, you can talk about the history of the car that can come into play or whether that car was featured um, at a motor show or won a prize or did or did the Paris Dakar or what. So there's a huge amount to it these days, isn't there? Yes, it's not just about or it's the car. a Batmobile. Or yes, oh, two Batmobiles, one Monkey Mobile, Ghostbusters. I mean, all sorts we've been sold. Um, <laughs> it, a lot of it's, as you say, there's the key to a car doing particularly well at auction is having something that sets it apart from everything else. A car that's the same as 50 other cars on the market is always going to be the same price, give or take, as 50 other cars on the market. If you put it into auction, and this is no different from anything you auction, of course, what you're trying to do is load the dice in your favour so you get people overbid, you know, bid because they desperately want that car. And as you see right to the top end of the market, if there's only one available in the world and there's five people that want it, then ultimately that's where the big, big money comes in. But that can happen all the way down to you find an MGB Roadster that's only had one owner from new, but there's its catch point, one owner from new. Um, low mileage has become, I think disappointingly actually, the biggest key factor in a lot of more modern classics now, because as people get older, the, the generations shift on. So we've seen sort of a slight decline in vintage and 40s and 50s cars, and they're starting to press forward into late 70s and 80s cars now. And it's because obviously the age of people's disposable income is increasing. Um, but that with it, because cars were produced in much greater numbers, then makes everything about mileage. And the reason I hate mileage being one of these figures that everyone hangs their, hangs their hat on is that it means people aren't driving them. And if you buy it, you don't want to drive it. Well, that takes away the essence of why you're buying the car. We all know there's a part of it being art and collectible, but the nice thing about auctioning cars is that typically people get to enjoy them afterwards and that visceral experience. But yeah, provenance is huge. If it's owned by somebody, we've seen a couple of huge cars sold this year because of links to the royal family, cars that have been in films. We've got a, a crazy Mustang coming up in this auction, which is actually a stunt car from the Venom 2 movie, which is Woody Harrelson and Tom Hardy. And the car itself is much like many film cars. It's been used in a film, so it's got a hydraulic handbrake and so on and so forth. But someone will probably buy that for more than the car's naturally worth because restored or or reworked, it's a car that has that provenance of being the car that Woody Harrelson drove in a Hollywood movie. That's fantastic. Ye yeah. Years ago, Simon, um, uh, uh, when they being first started, I knew that Morse, 
the new series of Morse had been recommissioned because they had one of the Morse cars in the auction and it got withdrawn. And I went, why has it been withdrawn? They said, well, they're giving them another go. They got another series. <laughs> so they've got to have the car back. <laughs> I was like, oh, I like that. That's all right. I like that show. Yeah, that'll be fine. That is one of the, the, the more fun things about working in cars is there are, you tend to, there is a bit of a drop into, and you may have seen this, a lot of online auctions now have cropped up for everything. It's become a more modern way of selling, irrespective of particular cars' value and provenance. And so we do see some cars that are sort of priced alike and, and almost, um, you know, clients shut your ears here. Some clients are almost lazy in the fact that, oh, can you just do it for me, which is fine, you know, and it will make what it makes. But the real fun part of the job is is those cars with provenance, those special parts of the job, the bits that really click into gear with the marketing PR guys, um, and you're always looking for auction records. You know, you always want to get an auction record for something or get in the, you know, the national newspapers because you've got it coming. You know, it's, that's where the real fun lies. So come that on then, Matthew. Sh- uh, yeah, absolutely. Come on then, share. So what's, what's the auction record looking like at the moment at Historics? The, the highest we've sold is actually 630. Um, we're trying to climb and get those million pound cars in and over the line. Yeah, but again, yeah. they're notoriously difficult because of the guys above us. Um, we've sold a DB6 Volante at 620 and then a DB5 only a couple of auctions back at London, which made 618. So we, we do up wow. to and above 500 regularly. We just can't seem to get that push on for a million yet. Uh, we'll get there. It'll happen. Yeah, yeah, It'll yeah, happen. Yeah. And what was so special about the Aston Martin? So DB6 Volante was fully restored and absolutely beautiful. And the Volantes are a rarer car. So that's ah. a convertible DB6. So that was absolutely stunning. The DB5, um, they can go anywhere from four to 1.5 million pounds, depending on provenance, who's restored them and so on and so forth. Um, we sold lots of those. They all have been around five to six for us. Um, we've had a few goes at the million pounds and we, yeah, we, we just need to get one or two to click over the line. Really. It'll, it'll happen. It'll, yeah. it'll definitely happen. And what about your, cause you're a, you're a bit of a collector yourself, Matthew. Are you? Well, I'm less of I used to be, um, children got in the way and, um, I currently haven't got a garage at home, which is probably saving me and my marriage. Um, but I was always, always, always an alpha, uh, alpha man. Um, as I've got older and got into auctions, I think I must admit, I sort of, you don't lose the love, but you lose the the want for owning everything because you can use everyone else's. Um, but I used to be into my old Alfa Romeo GTVs, um, and I used to spend fortunes on them. In fact, I always used to do this strange bump where I'd have a lovely car, I'd spend all the money in the world, and the person who bought it off of me must have got the best car ever. And then I'd go, I've spent too much money, I'll go and get something really cheap. I'll own that really cheap car for a year and go, I can't have something really cheap. I've got to go and get some another Alpha. <laughs> Over, round and round and round. <laughs> Didn't learn my lesson six or seven times. Okay, dare we ask them, what are you driving now? Oh, at the moment, uh, just a daily driver, just. Uh, I've got a Porsche Macan, which... Oh, nice. Is okay. the wrong car. And it's oh. the wrong car. And we've said this on our own podcast, actually. I should have bought the Alfa Romeo Giulietta Quadrifoglio, I think it's pronounced, which is that saloon Alfa Romeo with that lovely big engine in it, which sounds fantastic. I would have regretted it, but I would have enjoyed regretting it more than I am driving this Porsche, <laughs> which is just an expensive Audi, really. Yeah. <laughs> Trends are shifting, aren't they? And you've alluded to this. So, um, And I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about, so the desire now for the escorts and the hot hatches. And um, I'm assuming that's something that, 
that, you know, you guys keep track on the moving pace of the trends. Yeah. And actually, if you speak to anyone that chats to these guys, there's not that many people that work in the auction industry with cars. It's quite a select few people. Um, often their expertise isn't necessarily in cars, although they have to have a wide knowledge of that. It is the marketplace and what people are spending on and what things are happening that actually change the way in which people buy. Money's changed in the last 15, 20 years. Um, money used to be old money. It used to be people that would go to university, would be well-educated, would be old money, I suppose we'd call it. But money has definitely changed. And this new money, which is people that were from the working classes have done very well, run their own businesses. And they remember things like Fords. They're not into, they weren't necessarily into their Jaguars and their Aston Martins when they grew up. They were into their RSs, their RS2000s, their um, 205 GTIs, all sorts of things like that. There's a lot of nodding going on in this yeah. podcast. There's a lot of nodding. Yeah. yeah. So, and of course, that's it. It's the evocative to them because they couldn't afford it when they were younger. Um, yeah. They can afford it now. They will then buy the absolute best. They've got plenty of money to then have them fully restored. And then we're finding these cars jump onto the market and make incredible values. There was an RS500 Sierra. It's a Sierra that sold not long ago for half a million pounds. Wow. I sold two Ferrari 246 Dinos together, didn't make up the same amount of money that that Ford Sierra made. No and, and that's where you've got to keep an eye on where the market moves because there's always plenty of money for Ferraris. For instance, Ferraris is the, the sort of most sustainable and stable value in any, any car in classic markets. But the real movement has been in sort of the every man's classic cars. But that is really fascinating that it's the shift in where money is. Mm. And it's that, you know, I've come from next to nothing. I've worked my rear end off and made money. And that is the thing I dreamed about owning. And I'm going to have one. The, strange fact that it's, the fact that it's 30 years later down the yeah. tracks. Yeah. That's what I always wanted but I couldn't afford it. And isn't that interesting? So 30 years from now, we'll have a, a different thing again. Yeah. What we do find is that people start with these cars then. And then, and this is a horrible fact of life, is that when you earn money, you then become friends with people who also have money. And they go through this sort of whole Ford process. I call it Ford process, but those things they grew up with. And then they'll have them for six, seven years, maybe less. Then they'll sell them and they'll move on. And before you know it, they will end up with the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis. Oh, right. Because it will become... Almost, it almost becomes more boring. Becomes about investments and the the best car to have, and you know, it, it sort of changes all the way through. But then there's always someone behind them that doing exactly the same with a car that they grew up with, that they always wanted, and that they want the best of. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. You should have kept my two CV. <laughs> <laughs> but the, oh, that's the funniest thing we have in, and you probably find this, the the amount of conversations where. Oh, I had one of those forty-five years ago, and I always say to stop you now. Just don't, just don't think about it. It's not <laughs> worth considering. You only have to look on our website from ten years ago and see prices of DB6s at seventy-two thousand pounds that now sell for two hundred thousand um, pounds. Yeah. But yeah. you know, what did you do with that money in the meantime? You know, I put my children through school. Well, what was more valuable to you? Don't worry about it now. We can't yeah, change can the past. I can tell you, it's not paying for education. <laughs> <laughs> And what about uh, Matthew? I'm interested to know about barn finds. We love we love a barn find. We've had a few. I mean, Harry and I have sold a few cars. Sorry, not not meaning to tread on your toes at all. And trust me, we're not because we sold absolute rubbish as well. Um, but we've we've had some we've had some vehicles and some barn finds and the like. Have you had any cracking? Barn finds, I bet you have, over the We've years that some, you can tell us about. Some absolutely amazing barn finds. And the, the great thing about barn finds is that it really captures people's imagination. Like ridiculously so, because often these cars sell almost for the same price as a complete car. 
Um, we've had, I think in the last three years, three that come to mind. It was a Fassel Vega, which is a, a little-known French designer with an American V8, very pretty cars, slightly crazy. If you Google it, you'll see what I mean. We've got one again coming in the next cell. Um, and this car was absolutely rotten as a pear. Um, you know, if you got inside, it's like the Flintstones car, you'd have to walk it away. And it sold, I think from memory, it sold for the, almost the same price that it did three years later, fully restored. Because the want to buy the project and being the destination being more enjoyable than the, sorry, the journey being more enjoyable than the destination. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was incredible. We had a Lamborghini Countach, which sold for big, big money in parts. That naturally will be worth a lot more now. I think it sold for £200,000. Um, it's probably worth fully restored because we know who was restoring. I think it was actually being sent to Lamborghini for about a million. It's going to be about a million pounds worth finished. Um, but the most, the, the fun one I remember was a little Ferrari Dino. And I called it the Meccano Dino because it was in boxes. It was in a, sh- it was in a shed. It had to be part restored. Someone had started. They painted the shell, this beautiful yellow shell, and then hadn't really got any further. Uh, it had been shipped over from Australia. And it was like buying a Lego set because you could see where everything is. You just have to put it all back together again. And again, though, the car sold for just shy of £200,000 in bits, in boxes. But bear in mind that probably finished, well, I sold two finished cars recently for under two hundred and fifty. So it, it doesn't cost you £50,000 to put that car together. It's going to cost you an awful lot more. But back to the provenance issue, that reason I think that was particularly, particularly sought after was it was an old Hertz rental car. And there was a short run of Ferrari 246 Dinos, which Hertz had as rental cars. No. And you could hire a, you know, rather than picking up your Ford Mondeo from the airport, you could pick up your your Ferrari Dino. I bet there's been a few divorces involved in that. I said, darling, get the four, you could go large, four seats. How about this one? What? <laughs> but we've also this as well. We've been we've had spa finds before, and we've said whatever you do, and you must don't wash it because it yeah. is all about the, the photos. And, and we always said push it back in the barn so we can take the photos. Yeah. It's very evocative. But the buyers just want to have they want that catalogue and that photo as the start point of their journey. Mm. They'll then spend fortunes restoring it, and then they've got this lovely linear sort of cataloguing of the cars all the way through their ownership. And the irony is, yeah, they, they finish them and often think, oh, well, I'll do another one then because another, I'm, I'm, yeah. that, it was the journey that was interest for them. And I get the feeling that, that you share in that journey, journey with a car. That's just too trite for words. <laughs> but cliche, there you go. Yeah. That, that's too bad a cliche even for me. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I get the feeling that, that uh, do you follow some of these cars on their, you know, on their evolution uh, in and out of the market? You must see them come and go and see the similar ones or the same ones rock up. Yeah, yeah the same. I mean, you'll often see cars on the market that you've known, you've sold, yeah, you often keep in contact with owners, knowing that they might finish and sell. Um, it, you know, it's it's it, you understand people's emotions with it, um, and we always laugh because everyone says, "Oh, but I've spent this amount of money." It doesn't matter what you spend on a car; no. that's got sort of to do with value. Um, but you know, I still want to tell you, I've spent three quarters of a million pounds on this. I said, well, that's absolutely fine, but it's still a two hundred thousand pound car. <laughs> um, exactly. It, it, that, it, that you've done that because you wanted to do that. You know, that's a different kettle of fish. But yeah, I understand it. I mean, my father-in-law's just finished off a, a lovely Series One E-Type, and having seen him go through the whole thing, I'm glad I didn't do it myself. But the finished project's lovely, and, and we understand why people love to do it. Mm. Um, I think love and hate is possibly the right way to put it. Absolutely. Um, and there is, uh, there are fan clubs 
for all sorts, for virtually every make of car, aren't there? I mean, and I'm not going to, I'm not throwing him under the bus here, but we've got a wonderful guy works for us here at Lime Bay Auctions down in Devon. I'll mention him, Dave. And he's a Renault enthusiast. Absolute yeah, uh, Renault. You use the word enthusiast. I would say nut job. Anorak. <laughs> Absolute lunatic. Yeah. I mean, it does, yeah. it does offer, that's like the, that's like a, that's a very gentle way of saying that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, let's, yeah, yeah, we, I mean, come on. But his, his knowledge is phenomenal. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. I mean, down to being able to tell you the, the, the right hubcaps for the right car. Oh. On uh, the right year, it is. I mean, but they're becoming. They're, they're becoming. They are the oracle of knowledge for certain things. In, in our own headspace, we're going. Why on earth would you need to know so much about one car? But it's just their passion, and and they've gone down that road, and they, they won't stop. But the irony being is, Dave will call me up and ask me to value a car for him, knowing way more about the car than I yeah. do. Yes, um, yes. But again, going back to my original point, is I can tell you what the cars work in the market. You know all about the car more so than I can. I can't. I've got to be a What's it? Uh, uh, sort of a little bit of knowledge about everything, but I can't know everything. I can't be absolutely. I can never have that sort of in-depth knowledge as he would about a Renault. Because if I did that, I'd be squeezing everything else out of my brain. Hmm. So you have to rely upon those people in the marketplace, and often we have them on dials. You know, we will have people that we phone up to ask specific details on cars. Where can this be found? What's the value in this model over that model? It, the contacts are as valuable as what you have in your own brain. Yeah, Perhaps absolutely. I should get his number. <laughs> no problem, um, Matthew. <laughs> I've got, in our in our business, the antiques, collectibles, you know, art. Uh, you know, again, it's 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 very eclectic. One of the things that we do love, Harry and I, is every time we sit on the rostrum, we'll have got something badly wrong. Uh, in other words, <laughs> we, in other words, no, we. Did you hear that, Harry? We. We. Have got something. Yeah, I did hear that. Um, um, what, mate, what I want to say, because I this has not happened. So the Antiques Trade Gazette, obviously, which I don't know whether historics advertising, it's not, I mean, it's not geared up, I don't think, for cars really, is it, Simon? But they, what Simon is alluding to, in on page four or five, usually, there is a thing called the Wall of Shame. It's not called the Wall of Shame, but that's what it is. And it's got the highest price items, four of them, above estimate. So basically, as we've interviewed the editor, haven't we, Simon? Yeah. He knows that every auction house in the country on a Monday opens the ATG, completely ignores the journalism, <laughs> the important stuff that's going on, turns to this barometer and goes, oh, hello. Oh, thank God I'm not in it. And then goes back <laughs> to the front, right? So that is what Simon is alluding so, to. And so, Matthew, so we do get the, I mean, let's just say when Harry put a bronze sensor in at 40 to 80 pounds and it made 16,000. As an example, I'm just throwing that out there as an example. Yeah, uh, there's plenty more of those. <laughs> there's plenty more. Um, do we want to talk, do we want to talk, of, do we want to talk about the Chinese screens? No, we don't. Let's not no. do that. Um do you do you get that in the car world? Because I know you're talking about yeah. that, but do you get those where you go, I know that this car should make fifty thousand pounds and for whatever reason you've got two mega rich but do, do It happens. It doesn't happen probably to the same degree, I think, because the less individual, I suppose, is the word. They're, they're a little bit more well known. In most cars that we deal is with. Matthew diplomatically saying he knows his job better than I. No, do. no. <laughs> but what you will find is that well, you know, as you're exactly right. Two people in the room. If there's not enough of these cars to go around, or and strangest thing, we had a beach buggy 
um, which was lovely. It was restored. It was worth fifteen to twenty thousand pounds. Two fellas in the room, obviously both had plenty of money, liked the colour. Right. Now we could respray this car for about seven thousand pounds. So I don't really know why it was that. It made fifty five thousand pounds. And they just couldn't stop fighting each other for it. And because yeah. they would, you sit there, well, and the next day you'd still offer it at 15 to 20,000 pounds. It was still only worth 15 to 20,000 pounds. You just, you can't, you couldn't second guess it. There are mistakes that we make, though we don't call them mistakes because actually they're very profitable. Normally. <laughs> that's, what, that's exactly what we say. This industry is magnificent for the fact that you can make the biggest hoolie going, still go, make a lot of money, still make yeah. a lot of money. And yeah. We struggle a little bit with clients sort of perceptions of value, which is why I joke about my job. Anyone asks me, I, you know, what do you do? I'm a second-hand car dealer and they probe and I say, okay, I, I travel around the country and tell everyone and disappoint everyone in the values of their cars. And that's not always the case, but the idea is of course in cars and because of the modern internet, everyone has a perceived value of their car. And most of the time we're having to manage expectations to get the right reserves because obviously we're trying to educate them that, you know, price and pictures of what draws someone to a car. They'll then read the description that we've worked on and the car has provenance and reasons for you to bid. Then we've got to get them off their backside to the auction if we want them to be the strongest bidder. And then we sell the car well. If it's priced quite high, the likelihood of us going through all of that diminishes. And then we don't get the particularly good sales, which is why those lucky buggers that can put a 50,000 pound car in and advertise it without a reserve always sell their cars best. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And, you know, I wish we all had that ability. Money goes to money sometimes, but they're the cars that sell best because ultimately, if you look too keen and in this modern world, people just go, I'm too busy. No, I won't bother. Or they'll bid online and they'll bid with their head rather than their heart. And, you know, there's, there's me giving away tips to buyers now. And uh, and obviously that will be two three bids shy of where we think we could have got them if they were in the room sure. and involved. But isn't it the case? And I and I I absolutely agree with everything you said there, Matthew. Isn't it the case though? If you are going to sell a rare or classic car, you can put a price tag on it. You can put it in Auto Trader. Other magazines exist, I know, um, for legal reasons. Um, but at auction, there is always that chance that you've got two hungry, motivated, wealthy buyers that can push that price. I always say, load the dice in your favour. That is why you put it at auction, because the auction house's main task is to give you the opportunity to overachieve on the price. Your car may be worth £50,000, and if you put it up for sale, you might make £50,000. But no one's going to come along and say, I've seen your car is advertised for £50,000. I'd like to give you 70. Yeah. It doesn't happen. It never no, will. Never you know, will. If anything, they'll come along and offer you 40. But unless you load the dice in your favour in that respect, you can't have it. And, uh, literally, silliest little cars, lovely little BMW 530, the most, bless it, uninteresting car. One owner from new, nice car. The guy could have sold it in order to trader for five, £6,000 and actually would have turned a profit from what he owned the car for for a couple of years. He loaded the dice in his favour. He cleaned it with an inch of its life. It was presented beautifully. It had a nice bit of provenance being low mileage. Made £16,000. So he'd wow. loaded the dice in his favour. He's made himself another £10,000 by doing that process. It's not, there's no guarantees. And you guys know this because you do this all the time. But it is using that facility to your advantage and using it in the correct way. And you can be, you can, you can come out very well. I mean, it's not always, money's a bit of the, Everyone talks money and it's a bit, you know, after a while because it is business to us. But you also have that ability of selling cars for lovely reasons. You know, some of my nicest 
stories of selling cars have been born out of people's misfortune and you know whether it be probate sales sales for ladies that have lost their husbands but the nice thing is they they tend to take the advice we allow us to do the process as we want to correctly market the car well they then as you alluded to earlier they come along to it's a fantastic event to see the car sell the car sells really well and, and they're in tears of joy born from something that was incredibly sad to start with because they're seeing something that was an heirloom being sold and sold very well. That's how I like to sell things. Yeah, there's nothing better, Matthew, in our experience. We talk about this a lot on the pod with other auctioneers. If somebody, usually, and it's quite often with bereavement, isn't it, Simon? Yeah. And they've had a rotten run. Yeah. And it's usually taken a year, year and a half. The car's got to go. It's not something that they've wanted. It was a project. And they've really bitten the bullet. They've come to see you guys. You guys have nursed them. And I mean that in a nice way, but nursed them. You do the need to. Yeah. And then you send them a big check that yeah. is money they're not really sort of expecting. Yeah. They can then go and do something. We always uh, say go and do something irresponsible with it. Yes. Have yes. Fun well, it. Traditionally, they've been, dare I say it, beaten up and chewed out by lawyers, solicitors and so on for the last year and a half. And they're, bought, they're absolutely full of mistrust. And I, I agree. I completely understand that. And that's why we turn and say, and you'll have exactly the same stories. Let us do it full transparency. You'll know exactly what's going on. You'll know what it was paid for. There's not someone coming along, kicking the doors and saying, would you mind if I took that off your drive, love? You know, this is then an enjoyable process. It's a shame that there's not more of that in, in our industry. Um, they do tend to slip away before they go to auction because of, you know, someone at the pub's offered them £1,500 for something we could have sold for 12 times the amount. And that is the nice thing, I think, about our business, isn't it, Matthew, is that at the end of the day, we can all hold our heads up high and say, do you know what? We are going to get you the very best price for your loved item, car, motorbike, whatever it is, because obviously we benefit on a percentage. So we are going to market. Yep. We are going to push that. We are going to make calls. We are going to get the best price on the rostrum that we can. You so lose, you will lose. never you will yep. never be in doubt that when somebody knocked on the door and offered you £5,000, did I do the right thing by Uncle Fred in yep. selling it that way? Put it to auction, totally transparent, and we will get you the very best price we can. And, and there's you, something nice about that, isn't there? Yeah, and you guys, as well as us, all you can control is making sure the service that you've you've promised is done to the, the best you can. The the market is the market. What people will pay, you can't really you can help, but you can't really dictate. If the market takes a dive, the market takes a dive. I I can't, we can't, no auction house can suddenly change that. You know, if, if confidence in spending money full stop drops twenty percent, then everything's worth twenty percent less across the board. All we can do is make sure we do the absolute very best of the service that we've that we've provided. And if we can sit at the end of the day and go, so oh, we've done a fantastic job, regardless of what the car sells for, that's all we can do. Invariably, if we've done a good job, the car will sell well. And I'm sure that's the same across any auction house. Yeah, well I can I can attest to the fact that you amongst the auction houses that I've hit, you properly overstaff on the day. Yes. There are <laughs> A lot of stories. <laughs> I tell you, and and I've seen customers with queries, questions, and all the rest of it. The other auction houses, and I'm not criticising them for this, just don't have the manpower to deal with on the day. But you guys have gone, and I, I am, you know, this is all about bigging you up. But you've got enough people there. All three thousand of them could ask a question over the course of the day and get an answer. We it's go from amazing. a team. Of, I think we go from a team of seven 
to over 40 on the day. <laughs> wow. Um, and it's the dream is this time. And it's just, <laughs> and, and to be, a lot of that's Mark, you know, Mark is a numbers guy. He's like, well, if I've got enough numbers at this, it'll work fine. And <laughs> yeah, silly things, like obviously people will come along. We have viewing days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And that's the ideal time to come and see a car and inspect everything. But of course, some people have other commitments. They'll come on the Saturday. We're mid auction. And as you know, you're mid chaos. That's really difficult to answer questions and give people the time that they deserve. So, you know, we've got a little army of people that come along that work with us every auction. They know their cars. They know how we do things. They know where to point people in the right direction. So even if you come along and the lot's in half an hour, you'll be able to ask a question, look at the d- details. Someone will wander with you to the car should you wish to start yeah, it. It's me- I've watched it happen. It's mental. And it's, it's crazy. Because I'm like, why have, you, why have you only come now? But, you know, but we don't want to lose the, the bid. You know, they may have only just learned about it the evening before. Uh, crazy in this world that people miss things, I know. But... Um, it does happen. Well, Matthew, if no, if, I'm sure you get do get told this, but as a complete outsider and somebody who has no knowledge of cars or car auctions, I watched that happening, sat having a cup of tea and just watched it go on around me. And I was thinking, I dream of this level of <laughs> human activity because I think it's great. I think it's really good. I mean, it must be one of your USPs because I have been to others. We, Simon and I have a love of auctions. And you just don't see that. I think that army would, that you yeah. referred to. I think that really is something else. Very few have got the the, the sort of it's Mark's boundless enthusiasm. It's been called. I can call it something else sometimes. Um, <laughs> but he is, you know, he does think as a buyer, as a customer, and and it's in his mind, everyone has to be happy, which is impossible, of course, because some people also are unreasonable. But in his mind, everyone has to be happy, get everyone where it needs to be. Everyone has to be dressed nicely. They have to be polite. We expect the same of the customers, of course, as well. And his idea is you go away from that venue, even if you haven't bought, impressed with what we've tried to do for you. As you know, it doesn't always work out. With 170 lots, there are going to be a few gripes and we try and put them right. But generally speaking, I think most people go away impressed. That's what I hope. Yeah, and I think we would, um, you know, Harry and I talk about on this podcast, the reason we love auctions is the whole theatre of the day. You know, your month or months lead up to this moment in time when everything happens it all happens at once and we're very lucky as I'm sure you are that we've got loyal followers who clients who come to every single auction whether they want to buy something or not because they enjoy the theatre of it and I think we can hugely recommend Harry and I that anybody that's got any interest in cars and auctions look at historics auctioneers Look at some of their past catalogues, which are amazing to go through to see some of the things that you sold um, and some of the prices that have been achieved and some of the beautiful vehicles. Um, And also, if you get a chance, attend one of these auctions, because in terms of theatre in the auction world, there's very little to top this. It's amazing. Yeah, For the price of getting in the catalogue, it's £30 for two people. And I think bar trying to find it, you'd have to be on guest lists to get into bigger auctions, which is nice. Um, but I know now. So, Harry, I've got to get two CV in for you. Simon, yeah. what's, what have I got to consign to get um, on your checklist for uh, what's your favourite car? What, what are we thinking back to our childhood? Oh, that is. So do you know what I always wanted? I or, And this is going to sound a bit. I always coveted and dre- I always wanted a Toyota Supra. <laughs> okay so we're talking here now and this is where i do know things so toyota super we want a uk delivered manual twin turbo yes 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 standard no blue piping and upgrades so no thousand brake horsepower things 
No, no, don't want any no. of that. No, we're talking, we're talking the whale tail sort of design. Whale tail, yeah, whale longer. tail. Yeah. Yes. And then if you Can could I just, just pay for my divorce. That Matthew was not impressed with my two CV choice. <laughs> no, no, two CV, extra. We've got to get, take that for a few extra um, length and springs. Extra suspension now, yeah. like four then, times the size. Like and then use it, for the, yeah, use it for a nice, uh, nice rallying spec with some <laughs> bolted headlights on top. That's where we're going. This is what we're seeing. This understanding what the customers want. Exactly. So, Matthew, finish us up with your dream car then. We've got to finish on your dream well, car. I'm similar era i think so and i grew up coveting f40s 959s and it is the f40 that i would just uh, people in my industry is a lot of 250 gtos and slightly older cars and i can appreciate them they are stunning um but ultimately for me it's still the f40 i just can't get over that people the same era as the kuntash as well but i didn't really like the kuntash it was the f40 i quite like the 959 they're slightly above my price range now unfortunately um I couldn't even sell my house and buy one. We're talking <laughs> north of a million, but that's that'd be where. Well, if we do find a Devon barn find that needs a little bit of polishing, you'll be the first to know, my friend. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always know when we've had a good podcast, Matthew, and there's only one judge of it, really, and that is the time literally flies by, and it has done today with yourself. So uh, just want to say thank you, Matthew, for joining us today, taking time out from your busy workload, and I just implore everybody, go and have a look at Historics uh, Auctioneers, fabulous organisation selling some magnificent cars thank you matthew you're absolutely welcome we're on youtube facebook instagram websites whatever i'm sure you can not not find us they've got their own podcast which is actually quite good david <laughs> our producer if you're listening you should you know listen to that one it's quite good <laughs> <laughs> cheers matthew matthew you're thank you welcome. so much for taking the time and we'll speak to you again soon no doubt no thank you very much gents that was very much up in your sort of wheelhouse, as you said. It was all about cars, wasn't it? It was all about cars. He's a switched on fella, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my life. He knows his stuff. Do you know what I thought was interesting, Harry, is they they own a very successful, fabulous auction house, but it is so different to what we do. Trust me, not going to be trying to take those boys on. They know their stuff. They know how to put on a show. They know how to sell these cars. And my word, it is, yes, it's an auction house, but my goodness, it's different to what we do, isn't it? Fascinating. Oh, mate. Well, I mean, I alluded it. I allu alluded to it. Alluded I alluded it. to it in the pod. Um, and we are now going to gate crash it there. Yes. Um, on uh, the 27th of May uh, at Ascot Racecourse. I'm pretty sure he promised us VIP passes and champagne. You know, I, that's what I heard. <laughs> I'm not sure. Is that what I heard? Did that, I hear that? And that's what we always hear when we get invited <laughs> to something. We no, always I hear am... jelly paper, champagne, VIP. Mm. Yes. That sort of stuff. Um, no. No. Uh, but we're going to pop along. Um, we're gonna we are. We're going to look at that. Um, I, you know, I'm, it's an exciting day. But, yeah, they, I mean, they... They make it look good. They get yeah. good prices. Yeah. They're busy. I mean, yeah, three. Yeah. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. 127 3, 4, lots. And you're getting, what was he saying? Three to 5,000 people. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And some fabulous stock. They clearly, they clearly know their onions. They really do. My concern, Harry, is that we're going along as VIP guests. And he did <laughs> allude to, did, did, did. He did allude to, <laughs> yeah, did, 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 to the fact that. Certain people come along and impulse buy cars. 
Mate, what, I, this could be what? dangerous. Do you know what? This could it's be dangerous, dangerous for you, but mm. the look of disdain on his face when we were talking cars, and my very first car was a 2CV because that's what I could afford, and et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> when I was really young. And I loved it and hated it all at the same time. But now I'm that much older. I look back at it with sort of vaguely weird, fond memories. He just looked at me like, why on earth do you want that? When you two started talking about the cars of your dreams, he even knew what stitching your seats yeah, were going to be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> He's good. He is very, very good. Very funny. Excellent. I tell you what, thoroughly enjoyed our chat with Matthew and uh, really looking forward to going along to their viewing day. Can't wait for that. So we're going to go along, have a look, maybe record a little bit from the viewing day. What do you reckon? I think Sounds that's a good. really good idea. Yeah, we'll give a walk round. And we'll share that with you all later. Um, in the meantime, uh, please. What, what have they got to do? What has our listener got to do? Buy me a car. <laughs> okay. Other Toyota than that. Supra. Buy me a Toyota Supra. Matthew, buy me a Toyota Supra. Still please. other than that. Okay. Like, <laughs> subscribe, write a review. Five stars would be nice. I appreciate we don't deserve it, but that's what producer Dave told us to say. So if you can make it five star, that will get producer David, who I understand is six foot four, is going to beat me up. <laughs> Could you five star it, please? Right, mate. I'll see you in a week. Love you. All right. Take care. Love you too.